we will move on to studying of God's word. Before we open the Bible, though, let me just um, set the stage a little bit. Some of you know that the Joy and I and our family moved here from Louisiana. We spent three and a half years in the country of South Louisiana, and uh, we were originally Texans, and so that three and a half years um, was a really fun time. They loved us well. They took care of us, but boy, is South Louisiana different than Texas. And, and at the church where we were, there were three of us that were on staff that were all from Texas. And we kind of had this little Texas squad, and we would get together, and um, one of them had the Texas flag hanging in his office. I'm sure none of you would ever do anything like that. Uh, anytime we would go back to Texas, we would bring each other tortillas from HEB, because they're just things of home that you need to have when you're away. And in a very, very small way, uh, it was kind of like we were living in exile, because uh, we were living in a particular place that wasn't our home. And we had to really wrestle kind of with that question, what does it look like to live here and long for home? And if you've noticed, that's really kind of our tagline for our study of Daniel this fall, living here, longing for home. So keep that question in the back of your mind as I read to you what is really probably the most famous passage in all of Daniel, one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible, and that's Daniel chapter 6. Listen now as we read from God's Word. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. And then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and these satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or any man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore... King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and they said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. 
or the injunction you have signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, which must, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. But these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace, and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose, and he went in in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continuously, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to, to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth for he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let me pray for us. Father, what an amazing story. But more than that, what an amazing God you are. What a rescuer you have proven yourself to be. Reveal yourself to us as is your great pleasure from your word this morning, that we might be changed by it. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. I read a story uh, the other day of a man named Clarence Jordan, who in 1940 uh, created a, a farm for racial unity uh, in the South. In 1954, the Ku Klux Klan burned almost the entirety of that farm to the ground. The only thing that was left standing was his house. And in the midst of kind of this, this raid, he, he, he was there watching, and he overheard a voice that he recognized from one of the Klan members. It turns out it was uh, one of the reporters from the local paper who showed up the next day to interview him. 
And of course, knowing that this man had, had been there the previous night, uh, Jordan sat and, and interviewed and was interviewed by this man who asked him this question, you know, well, what are you, you going to do now? And interestingly enough, as he was interviewing him, uh, what Jordan was doing, what Clarence Jordan was doing was actually planting. He was planting seeds. He was hoeing the ground. He was putting in little seeds for trees to grow, for the farm to come back. He was already the next day working to reestablish things. And, and this, this, this clan member, this, uh, this interviewer, the newspaper reporter just could not figure out what was going on. And he got more and more frustrated over the time of their time together until he finally said, you know, stop doing that. You've been doing this for 14 years. You have two PhDs and you've been farming for 14 years and now all of it is burned to the ground. How successful do you really think you've been? To which Clarence Jordan responded, Clarence, who was a Christian, responded by saying, you really just don't understand us Christians, do you? We're not about success. We're about faithfulness. That is a wonderful thing for us to remember this morning when we read Daniel chapter 6. Christians are those who are not primarily about success, but about faithfulness. What does it mean for us to be faithful in the place that God has put us what does it mean for us to living in exile as we do, waiting on our king to finally return? What does it mean for us to be faithful during that time as we wait? Well, we really get a beautiful example from Daniel today. And we see Daniel actually as faithful to his place, the place where God put him. And at the same time, Daniel is faithful to the Lord who has put him there. We're going to look at those two things primarily this morning and then conclude with the beautiful truth of the faithfulness of God to Daniel. Okay, so first, Daniel's faithfulness to his place, and then Daniel's faithfulness to the Lord, and then we'll close with the Lord's faithfulness to Daniel. So what do we mean by Daniel's faithfulness to his place? Well, interestingly, when you open up uh, this chapter, you actually see a lot of things happening uh, about Daniel and his life and his regular kind of everyday life and job. And one of the first things that you see, actually one of the things that you see throughout this entire chapter, is that the king, the guy who's in charge, likes him. He likes him so much that he mourns deeply when he thinks Daniel is in danger. And Daniel seems to actually like the king, too. He's got a great relationship with the one who's in charge. And interestingly enough, Daniel has had this relationship with the person in charge for quite some time. So we, we get the story of Daniel's life, and it's kind of compressed. It's, it's, it's hard to, to see it sometimes from what we have exactly. But Daniel has actually spent the majority of his adult life and will spend the entirety of his adult life living in exile in Babylon. Daniel, by the time this chapter rolls around, is probably somewhere in his 70s or 80s. He was taken from Israel as a young teen and has really grown up and spent all of his adulthood in Babylon serving the kings of Babylon. First, it was Nebuchadnezzar, who history tells us was the longest reigning Babylonian king. And then probably even between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, there were a few other kings. Then we see Belshazzar, the last of the Babylonian kings. So Daniel has spent already quite a bit of his life serving Babylonian kings. And when we get to chapter 6, there's been an entire regime change because Persia has invaded Babylon and has taken over. 
And so Darius is a Persian king. So here's Daniel in the midst of having served uh, multiple Babylonian kings. Daniel already, who was in exile from his home country, is now serving a Persian king. (laughs) To Daniel, it doesn't really matter who the king is. And that's because he knows who the king is, by the way. But Daniel is serving the people that God has put him in front of, and he's doing it well. And we see really plainly, already from verse 2, that Daniel is just really good at his job. Uh, the, the text tells us that there was, a, that there was a, a good spirit in him, right? There was an excellent spirit in Daniel that everybody kind of looked around and they saw, you know what, there's just something different about this guy. There's something different about the way that he goes about his work. His, his, his work is good and everybody can see it. He does good for the people around him and everybody can see it. He works hard for the king, his boss, and everybody around can see it. You know those times uh, in football programs when the head coach gets fired and he usually comes in and hires a new staff of assistants and sometimes, you know, there's that one guy, there's that one assistant coach who lasts through the regime changes, maybe even through two or three different regime changes, and it either means he's got some real dirt on the athletic director or he's really good at his job and everybody recognizes it. That's Daniel in this passage. He has lasted through multiple kings. He has lasted through the intense change of political parties, and he has been faithful to the place that God has put him, and he's really good at what he does. Daniel is faithful to his place. Guys, Christians are supposed to be this way. As Christians, we are those who have been called to a particular place, have been given even a vocation in that place to live out God's glory in our lives that oftentimes has to do with some very specific things like getting up and going to work or dealing with the people around us. And let me just remind you of something really basic that we probably all know. God cares about your job. God cares about what you do with your life. What you do for a living, what you do for your family, what you do in your neighborhood, that's not just extra stuff that happens between Sundays that we can kind of write off as being secular. That's holy too. God cares about it deeply. And his people have always been and will always be called to faithfulness in what God has given them. You know, as you look at uh, the requirements for elders in the church that we see uh, from Paul in a couple of places, one of those requirements is that elders should be above reproach, that they should have a good reputation with outsiders. One of the, thing that, one of the things that marks a leader in God's church is that they should have a good reputation with the people outside the church. And if that's true for leaders, it should be true for all of us too, Right? My family and I kind of have this game that we like to play sometime called uh, What Does That Guy Do? That's kind of the, the general name of the game. And it goes like this. We'll be sitting in a, in a public place. Airports are great for this game, but really you can play this game anywhere. Uh, restaurants are fine too. And you'll pick out one person and you'll say, okay, what does that guy do for a living? 
And then you've kind of got to do the Sherlock Holmes thing of, of figuring out, all right, we're going to look at his shoes and his pants and what kind of bag he's carrying and, and how he walks and how he carries himself. And then you come up with, you know, a story about what that guy does for a living, right? So clearly this man uh, is an in-house accountant for a Northwestern, you know, tech company, and he's traveling through, of course, which he does a little too often, and his wife, uh, Margaret, gets a little frustrated that he travels a little bit too much, and, and Albert, or he goes by Al, uh, you know, of course, is planning on quitting this job pretty soon. In fact, he's already looking for other things, and, we, you know, we feel a little bit sorry for Al, but we're excited for him and for his future. That's kind of how the game goes. And, of course, you know, it's funny. You honestly can tell a lot about a person by the way that they dress and the way that they carry themselves and, and what their life kind of looks like. But, you know, the same truth is true for Christians. People should be able to look at us and say, what drives that person? When I look at their life, when I look at the way that they work, when I look at the way that they treat their employees or their employer, when I look at the way that they interact with their neighbors or their city, when I look at the way that they love the people around them, what do I learn about that? Who is at the center of their lives? People should be able to look at us and see Jesus in some way. So that's the first thing that we see about Daniel is his faithfulness to his place. Second thing is this, is that Daniel is faithful to the Lord. Daniel is faithful to his place, but it's still at the same time, there is one thing that's at the very center of his life, and that is the worship of his God. He's faithful to the Lord, and we see this all of the time. Let me explain a little bit about what's going on kind of in, in Darius's law that he makes here, because it's an interesting one. Uh, the, these guys, you know, Daniel's co-workers, the, the governors kind of of the place, driven probably primarily uh, by, by their own jealousy of Daniel, maybe even some by racism because he's an outsider. Uh, they come up with this, this idea, huh, we'll, we'll give a plan to the king so that he sets up basically a trap for Daniel to fall into. And the plan is this, king, you are going to be the one to whom everybody brings their petitions. Now, it's kind of a strange one, right? Because they say uh, you can't bring a petition to any god unless you bring it through this king. And really what they're saying is, if you've got worship to do, if you want to deal with the gods, then you've actually got to kind of come through the state in order to be able to deal with the gods. So they've said, yeah, great, there's religion. We're going we're gonna to kind of uh, circumvent your access to religion, and we're going to work it through the state so that the king becomes really the only mediator between men and the gods. Make sense? <coughs> Excuse me. Now, this is, this is actually a pretty great, pretty fantastic kind of strategy if you're the new king in town. And remember, Darius has conquered, and he's, already, he's trying to kind of like uh, let the cement really settle in his new place. And what better way to do that than to say, I'll take over not only the civic life, the state life, but the religious life, all of that has to come through me too. It's a pretty good strategy. Interestingly enough, that strategy is really kind of still around and something that we can still fall prey to. Because what the Bible says is that we are, as Christians, to take God's word and it's to be the lenses, the glasses that we look at all of life through. So that when we look at political life, 
When we look at all of the life around us, when we look at what it means to interact with the people around us, when we look at all of life, what we are supposed to do is take God's word and put it on as glasses so that it filters the way that we understand life around us. But can it be tempting to make our glasses politics, state life, civic life, and so we take those lenses and we look at all the world and it's filtered through those lenses rather than the lenses of Scripture. That is actually what's going on with Darius the king. He is saying, I'll be the lens that you look through for everything, including your worship life. Of course, what's so beautiful about this story is that Daniel says there's only one direction that this goes. And we're going to look through God's lenses first, and we're not going to work the way that the king has asked us to work. And so what Daniel does is he goes to his house and he prays. And I just, I just love the way that the verse 10 uh, just comes at us. We hear that when Daniel learned of the king's law, what did he do? He, he used his influence and his power to approach the king and argue him out of it. No, we don't read that. Or Daniel used his influence and his power in the community to get a petition signed or to kind of start a protest against it. We don't read that either. And we also don't read that Daniel went to his house and locked himself in his closet so that nobody would ever see what he was doing. What we actually read is that Daniel went back to his house. He opened up all the doors and the windows. He didn't mind who walked by or who saw him. And he got on his knees and he prayed. The very first thing Daniel did when there was trouble was he went to the Lord. Now, please hear me say this. God has given us things that we can take advantage of in this world. If you are sick, you should go to a doctor. If you need legal advice, you should call a lawyer, right? It is okay to take advantage of the things that we have. God works through those things, actually. But how often is it that when we think, where is my hope? we turn immediately to something that's temporal. We turn immediately to something that's worldly. We turn immediately to something that we think is going to fill our needs, and it doesn't ultimately. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Daniel is really fulfilling that psalm right here. He is saying, when I am in times of trouble, when it really comes down, and when it's really crashing down in the trial, I am going to go to one place and one place only, first and foremost, and that's to the Lord. But here's what's cool, too, is that this is not, uh, this is not a foxhole prayer. This is not just Daniel in his time of need saying, you know what, I've finally come to the end of everything else, and finally, once in my life, I'm going to pray. Actually, what we read here is that Daniel has been doing this continuously, Daniel gets down on his knees and he prays just like he always has been doing. In fact, we hear it twice more out of the mouth of Darius the king. Daniel, has your God, whom you serve continuously, saved you? Daniel is marked by his continual dependence upon the Lord. You know, I don't know if you're, any of you are skiers. I'm not really a skier. 
But I do love watching snow skiing, and especially when you watch, you know, this beautiful, pristine mountain, and you see somebody, they've, they've dropped in by a helicopter, and they're skiing on this snow that, you know, maybe has never been skied on before, and it's just gorgeous, isn't it? To watch this skier just gracefully move down the mountain where there's no tracks at all, they're the first ones kind of carving it up, and the, the powder's going everywhere, and it's gorgeous. Here's the thing, though. Not only does that rarely happen in skiing, that rarely happens in our hearts. <laughs> our hearts are very rarely fresh powder for our decisions. In fact, usually our hearts have grooves in them. And so just like when you ski down a slope that's been skied thousands and thousands of times, your skis will find their way into the grooves and you will slip into those patterns, won't you? Our hearts work the same way. And that can be positive or it can be negative. We build patterns, grooves, habits in our hearts that when we come to the times of crisis, we are normally going to fall right into those grooves. And here is what the beautiful power of Christian discipline is. The beautiful power of habit in our lives is that when we build gospel-centered, gospel-shaped grooves in our hearts, guess what? When the trial comes, we know where to go. <laughs> that seems to be what's happening with Daniel. His crisis moment doesn't seem to be a whole lot different than his regular moments. He's gotten down on his knees and he has prayed three times a day for a long time. And so when the crisis hits, he just knows what to do. He's already built those grooves into his heart. One of our worship values at Hope is that we want our worship to be both expressive and formative. We want to express what is in our hearts. We want to come into worship with the love of Jesus in our hearts, and we want that to come out of our mouths and out of our bodies and out of our whole beings. That's expressive. But we also want it to go the other way because we believe that actually what we put on our lips teaches and feeds our hearts. And so we want to do the things in our worship even that build those grooves into our hearts so that we might know it and so that in the time of crisis, we might fall into those grooves and depend on the one who has made them so deeply for us. So there's our first two things, Daniel's faithfulness to his place and Daniel's faithfulness to the Lord. Now let me pause for just a second and, uh, and, and let's notice something in the text here is that whenever those two things are combined, there is always conflict. <laughs> you see it here, don't you? You see that Daniel's faithfulness to his place, the fact that he was just really good at what he did, and his faithfulness to the Lord have combined to actually create conflict in the lives of those around him. And that conflict has created some that have desired to hate him and destroy him. Friends, let's just be really honest about this. Jesus told us that that's what we should expect. That we should expect that the world will not like us, even if we love them well, even if we're good at our jobs, even if we are kind, even if we are sacrificial, we will be hated because of Jesus. But there's something amazing that happens in this story too, right? Is that the other conflict that happens, happens with Darius the king. And that conflict leads to his proclamation of God's glory. <laughs> See, 
evangelism doesn't happen without conflict. Evangelism doesn't happen if there's never any conflict. And when you combine faithfulness to your place and faithfulness to the Lord, what will happen is that there will be conflict in the lives of those around you. And incredibly, God uses that conflict in amazing ways to rescue people as pagan and lost as Darius, king of Persia. He can do that in our hearts and he can work through us to do that in the hearts of others. All right, let's close with this final thing. It's not just seeing uh, Daniel's faithfulness to his place and to the Lord, but finally seeing God's faithfulness to Daniel. This is, this is the high point really of the story, isn't it? This is the part that we, that we learned, you know, growing up in Sunday school and maybe was depicted on some sort of felt paper. These are the things, this is the part of the story that even if you've never been in church before, maybe you've already heard, and that's that Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den and the lions don't eat him. It's a really amazing irony, isn't it, when you're looking at Darius and uh, the night that he spends versus the night that Daniel spends in the den with the lions. Darius is fasting. He's sleepless. He's at his wit's end. He doesn't know what to do. Like, it is the worst night of Darius's life. And we're not told this, but you kind of get the picture that Daniel is relaxing on the lion's mane and just kind of chilling and having the best night of sleep he's ever had. Darius is fasting, and by the way, so are the lions. And we read that the reason that uh, Daniel had such a great night of sleep is that God showed up. Just like in chapter 3, where we see three men thrown into the furnace and a fourth man appear there with him. God is there with Daniel, and we're told that he closes the lion's mouth so that no harm comes to Daniel. Daniel's trust in the Lord is shown to be completely reasonable <laughs> because God shows up in his deepest time of need. What do we, what do, we do with all this? Well, let's wrap it up here. How do we apply it to our lives? Well, here's one question. Am I telling us that we should be like Daniel? Yes, I am. God is actually giving us a beautiful description of what faithfulness looks like. And so when we read about somebody like Daniel, we should say, Lord, make me more like him. Lord, make me more like that kind of faithfulness so that I might be faithful in what you've given me now, today, temporally, in my job, in my family, in my neighborhood, and that I might be more faithful to you in all I do. Does this mean that we should pray regularly? Yes, it does. To get up every morning and open God's word and engage him in prayer is something that Christians have a beautiful privilege and opportunity to do. Let me invite you to take advantage of that amazing opportunity. But this also sets a pattern for us. See, Daniel actually sets a pattern of someone who would come after him who would be the Daniel that Daniel could never be. We actually open up the New Testament and we see that God has sent his son who has left his foreign country to live as an exile in a new place, that he lived faithfully in that place, that he lived not just excellently but perfectly, righteously, that that conflict then has created in him, around him people who would like to kill him. And so just like Daniel... 
Jesus is brought up on some trumped-up charges. He enters into a ridiculous sort of uh, law, uh, courtroom drama, and he's found to be guilty, the only one who has ever been completely and totally innocent. And he's thrown to the lions, to the cross, and he's placed in a tomb, and like Daniel, there's been a stone that's been rolled over. But friends, this is what's so wonderful about the story, is that like Daniel, Jesus walks out of the tomb, not because he didn't experience death, but because he did on our behalf. And Jesus, the only one who could walk out of that tomb and like Daniel say, I'm innocent, I'm clean, I'm blameless. Jesus, the only one who can say that, has actually taken our blame upon himself. And if you have moved your faith from your own works to Jesus' works, then the Bible says something amazing about you too. It says that you are also found blameless in him that we are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection, that he has made us one with him and he has rescued us. You remember that, what we read earlier from Peter, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. Friends, Jesus has silenced the mouth of the lion. He has closed it on your behalf. And it's because of that that we can pursue faithfulness in what God has given us today. It is because of that that we can cling more tightly to him than we ever have before. It is because of that that we want to, not have to, develop patterns in our lives that continually move us closer and closer to this wonderful Savior that we have. Go do a good job in your work. Go devote yourself to the Lord in prayer and in worship and in service. And go proclaim the great salvation that Jesus has given you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a, uh, what a glorious message we get from Daniel 6. That you are mighty to save. That you are the only one who can close the mouth of the lion that truly attacks our soul. And that is sin and death and the devil, our great adversaries. Lord, we thank you for taking that upon yourself so that with you we might walk out of that tomb. Will you send us out now, Lord, remembering that great salvation so that we might engage more fully and faithfully in what you've put in front of us, so that we might more faithfully worship and serve you in all that we do, and so that we might rely fully and completely on the salvation that has been given to us in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.